in the house of God? Happy to be in Port Lincoln. All right, fantastic. I have no idea if your AFL team won. I don't even really understand the game. There are four posts. But anyway, I'm here. Great to be here. Are you all well? Um, fantastic. Well, it's a tremendous delight and honor to, to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, Josh, th thank you so much for such a, a beautiful introduction. I, I, uh, I hope that the guy you introduced turns up, but that was... Um, that was just so encouraging and moving, and, and thank you, and love you, and it's been a delight for me to be able to spend some time with you this weekend. Uh, but for those of you who don't know me, uh, my, my name is John. I'm married to only one woman, which I, th I think we can all agree is good. Um, we've been married for 27 years. She's the same woman, and she is a woman. So these, these are, <laughs> as culture moves, there's more boxes to tick, and, um, and she ticks all of them, which is fantastic. My wife's name is Jillian. I call her the voice of chocolate, and she's the only one for me, the only woman I want, the only woman I desire, and the only woman I can afford. Um, and uh, uh, she's absolutely amazing. I, I have two children. My daughter, Lara, is 19 years old. She's studying fashion at, at university. Uh, and I have a 16-year-old, six-foot-two son um, who is a chess champion and uh, does exceptionally well. In fact, he just won the uh, inter-school competition for his grade uh, about 10 days ago. Absolute champion. It's, it's hilarious when you're my height and your son is six foot two. I give him a hug good night and my cheek is against his chest bone. Something about that just doesn't feel quite right, you know, like uh, our roles are reversed. But, but a tremendous honor to be here with you. Just want to just take a moment and tell you how much I love your pastors. It has been an absolute honor to be with them this weekend, to spend time uh, with your leadership team, with your pastors. Pastor Rob and I went for a long drive yesterday out to Coffins Bay. We went four-wheel driving somewhere. Um, we were on cliff tops. There was beautiful beaches beneath us. And uh, just such an honor to be here with you. What an amazing facility this is. Can we all just agree? I mean, I walked in the door of this church and I was like, wow, everything screams excellence. The chairs are excellent. The stage is excellent. Look at this carpet. It's better than the carpet I have in my house. It's like everything about this place is outstanding. And if you, if you thank God for your pastors, could you just put your hands together and honor them? So, come on, you can do a little better. We're thankful for you. We appreciate you. Um, if you have a Bible, we're going to go to the book of, of James this morning, James chapter 1 and verse 5. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to preach two different messages this morning, one in this service, and then in the next service, if you can hang around, uh, I'm going to share a message that I believe is like a now word, uh, not just for your life, but for your church. So if you can hang around, please do so. If not, get a recording, make sure you do listen to it. But for this service, why don't we dive into James chapter 1 uh, and verse 5. It's also on the screen in case you hadn't noticed. The writer of James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man, the man who doubts, should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. He should not think he will receive anything 
from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. When we are sure that God is for us, there is no limit to what he can do through us. In our amazing passage of scripture this morning, it opens with a problem, a problem. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, and no matter what's going on in your life, how many people are excited that when I have a lack, God is my supply. No matter what's broken in my world, no matter what I need, I mean, Pastor Josh was up here this morning praying for people who have sickness in their bodies, challenges in their marriages, ill health, whatever your problem might be. And the writer of James prefaces his, his text for us today by saying, if any of you lacks, if there is a lack in our lives, God is our supply. Can I get an Amen. My God, the scripture says, shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. His riches in glory are infinite. Therefore, his supply is limitless. He has infinite supply. Therefore, his uh, infinite glory, sorry. Therefore, his supply has no limits in my life. And the writer literally says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. The Bible is saying that as a follower of Christ, my impulse reaction to a problem should be to increase my awareness of God. How many people know that's not normally our knee-jerk response? That when we have a problem in our lives, we begin to amplify the problem. We begin to dwell on the condition. We begin to meditate on what is wrong. We ruminate about how this is going to lead to our destruction. And we tend to see everything in our lives coming tragically down. But that's not what the Bible says we should do. It says the moment we become aware of a lack, a need, or a problem in our lives, our response should be increase my awareness of God. Get more aware of Him. Turn my thoughts towards Him. Turn my intention towards Him. That's why the Bible says in every situation, give thanks. This is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Because when we magnify the Lord, it allows us to see things in right order in our lives. He says, if anybody's got a problem, increase your awareness of God. And then he goes on and he says this about God. He says He gives generously to all. That's the nature of our God. He gives to all. He's not a respecter of persons. He's not measuring us according to our, uh, our, our perfection. The gifts and the call of God are without repentance. He's literally saying, I give to everybody. I give to everybody. No matter who you are, where you've come from, what's going on in your life, the nature of our God is that He gives to all and not just gives to all but he gives generously to all that the nature of our God is that he is over abundant that he is not exacting he's not stingy he's bountiful he's liberal he gives openly he gives in excess <laughs> I love this about God that once God has decided to do something generosity will be a hallmark of whatever he does next 
When God decides to move, he never moves in a stingy or an exacting way. The moment God says he's going to do it, he does over and above what is reasonable or even what we would expect. I mean, the Israelites are in the wilderness. Have you ever read this passage of Scripture? The Israelites are in the wilderness. They run out of food. God provides supernatural food every day for them, full of dense and nutrition, full of the right kind of nutrients that you need for life, and it tastes good. And then they become, you know, bored of eating the same manna every day. And they say, what we really want is meat. What we really want is meat. And so the Bible says God causes a wind to blow and quail come into the camp until there are so many quail in the camp that they are knee deep in quail throughout the Israelite camp. When three million people are knee deep in quail, can we all agree that's an abundance of meat? I don't care how carnivorous you are, that is a lot of meat. You can go full on in your protein diet with that kind of abundance of meat. But that's the way that God moves. When 5,000 people were were without a lunch, Jesus said, what do you have? And he took one schoolboy's lunchbox, just a few loaves of bread, a few pieces of fish, and he broke it and he fed 5,000 people. And then the Bible says that after feeding the 5,000, they collected 12 basketfuls of what was left over at the end. This is what God does. Our God gives to all. He's not a respecter of persons. He gives generously. And then the next line says, without finding fault. There's not supposed to be a full stop in there. Without finding fault. That the gifts come from a generous giver. See, what happens for most believers is that they think, we think, that our performance is what earns us God's benevolence. But this is not true of God. God doesn't look at any of us and say, because you've done well, I'm going to give you abundantly. He gives generously to all, and there is no scorecard attached to his decision as to whether he will give to us or not. This is the Bible. Can we agree? I need a bigger amen out there. He gives to all generously without finding fault. He doesn't look at you and say you are lesser than the person sitting next to you. And so therefore, you will get lesser blessing in your life. There is no scorecard. Because of Jesus, God is not transactional. God does not look at you and say you are a better or worse Christian than somebody else that is around you. When he looks at you and when he looks at me, all he sees is the sacrifice of Jesus. He sees sees a perfect record. He sees a life that has been forgiven. He sees holiness restored. He does not find fault. I think we just need to give a little amen to that and acknowledge that that is an amazing truth. This is the nature of our God. This is what He is like. If you have a problem, increase your God awareness. Why? Because He gives to all generously and He never finds fault. But then the Bible goes on and this is what it says. But when He asks, when she asks, He must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts 
is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. When he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Believe and not doubt. We've already established. He gives to all generously, because that's who he is, without finding fault. Jesus has paid the price. God never does things exactingly. He's generous and abundant, and he is not a respecter of persons. He gives to us all, right? And then the scripture tells us the key to this passage is that when we believe, when we ask, sorry, we must believe and not doubt. Half of our answered prayer comes back to the nature of God and the other half to the nature of the person who is praying. Doubt in the heart of the asker will disqualify the power of the promise. Why? Because doubts in our abilities have substance. Doubts in our character have validity too. I personally live my life with an air of caution that I don't put myself in positions where I could compromise my own character. We should have a healthy measure of doubt in ourselves, in our own abilities, and we can even have doubt in the people that are around us. But doubts about God are never valid. God gives to all generously without finding fault. He gives to all generously without finding fault. Let me say it one more time because I don't know if you caught it. He gives to all, everybody, generously. And he never finds fault as part of his decision as to whether he's going to give. So when we doubt God's ability or willingness to do what he has said he will and he can do, there is no valid reason for our doubt. Because because there is no valid reason for, for our doubt, when we doubt something about God, we are allowing something untrue of him to influence the way that we live our lives. This is crucial. When we believe something untrue about God, we are diminishing his ability to move in our situation. And let's make no mistake, the devil would love for each one of us to believe something that is untrue of our God. And the Bible gives us a pretty clear definition of what's going to happen next. It says he must believe and he must not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. The impacts of doubt are immediate. The Bible literally says that you become like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Now, I know I'm in a fishing uh, community uh, this weekend, but I can just tell you that that for me, to be in a boat in a storm environment is for me the worst nightmare of my life. I fly on airplanes nearly every day, and I'm telling you, the worst turbulence, I can sleep through it like Jesus on a boat, but I'm telling you, you get me on a boat with any kind of turbulence when the waves start going up and down, and friends, I'm just saying my doubt and fear gets triggered in that kind of environment. And the Bible literally is saying that's what it's like when doubt is found in our lives. I remember when Jillian and I 
were on our honeymoon. 27 years ago, we went to New Caledonia and we went on this barge disguised as a catamaran out to go snorkeling. And we're in, in a fairly tropical environment. And so as we're coming back, suddenly the, this blue sky day, there were dark clouds on the horizon and the people that worked, you know, for the resort, uh, begin shooing people back onto the boat and we start to make our way back and the dark clouds come overhead and the tranquil sea is replaced by waves that were going up and down and the boat is going up and down and there's, there's three kind of communities of people on the boat. There's a few of us Kiwis, there's a lot of Australians and then there was an abundance of people from some Asian nation. I don't know which one, but they looked... They looked Asian. And so as we're going over the boat, you know, we've got three groups of people with different reactions. And the, the Kiwis are going silent. The Australians are talking loudly like, she'll be right, mate. You know, like all the Asian people are just like, oh, da, da, you know, like they were clearly not, not comfortable with this kind of environment. And for me, it was like the worst place to be. And the Bible says that when you have doubt in your life, you are like that person you are driven, tossed by the wind. Circumstances rule you. Emotions are triggering you. You're up, then you're down. Sleep is gone. Your heart is racing. You're clammy. You're exhausted. You're, you're triggered with adrenaline. All at the same time. This is the impact of what doubts in the nature and the character of God can do in our lives. We can doubt our abilities. We can doubt our own character. We can doubt the people that are around us. But when we doubt what our scripture says is true of him, that he gives to all generously without finding fault, it has emotional impacts and it has responses in terms of what we should have as expectations from God. Have you ever read that passage of scripture where Jesus is with his disciples and uh, he commands them to go the other side of the lake and, and they're, they're in a boat and Jesus has ministered all day and so he, he falls asleep in the back of the boat and the other, other disciples are chatting and I don't know, after glowing and talking about the leg that grew back and the eyes that were opened and a few of them are, sail, are fishermen so they're, they're the ones in charge of the boat and they're making their way from one side to the other and a storm breaks out. Now, they're, they're fishermen, so they're comfortable with the storm, but the storm increases. And finally, it reaches a place where the, the waves from the storm are now breaking into the boat. And experienced fishermen question whether they're going to make it. Experienced fishermen think that something bad is about to happen. It's important that you remember that storms in the time of Jesus were associated with judgment. When there was a storm, I mean, read the story of Jonah. When there is a storm in a boat, the assumption is somebody has done something wrong and judgment is now coming to us. And they're all aware that they're not entirely good people. They've been hanging around Jesus for the last three years. They're aware that there are imperfections in their lives. The storm is building. They are serving Jesus. And Jesus is doing fat nothing. Jesus is asleep. 
questions begin to come up in the minds of the disciples. Why isn't Jesus doing anything? Why is he still asleep? Why can I not hear his voice? Where is his calming influence? This boat is about to go down. My life is about to come to an end. So many people feel like the disciples at moments of their lives too. Where is Jesus when I need him? Why is he not involved in this situation? I need Jesus' help. Surely I am not deserving of this. When we let our minds go down that train of thought, suddenly we open ourselves up to the next barrage of attacks on God's character. Many Christians I've met or people in the community say about him that he is a vengeful God or uncaring or disinterested, that he doesn't even care. And the Bible says that these disciples go down below deck and in Mark 4.38, they wake up Jesus and they say, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? Don't you care? Their belief is that he is disinterested, uncaring, removed, that they are going through the worst situation of their lives and God doesn't even care about it. They have doubted the nature and the character of God. Now the Bible tells us that Jesus gets up, goes above deck, speaks to the storm, and he says, peace be still. And then they worship and say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? But then Jesus addresses his disciples and he says, oh, you of little faith. That's his challenge to them. Oh, you of little faith. What preceded that statement? Oh, you of little faith. What preceded that statement? It was preceded by, teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? Their question, his question, sorry, was not about their inability to calm the storm themselves. I've heard it preached that way. I don't believe that it's true. He's not looking at his disciples and saying, why didn't you speak to the storm? His question is concerning their doubt in his character in his desire to move on their behalf. He's saying, why did you doubt that I am there for you, that I care, and that I'm able to move on your behalf? Their doubt was in his character, and it caused the storm to toss not only the boat, but their hearts to and fro. And whenever we doubt God's character, it tosses us around, causes us to live our lives questioning of the outcome and uncertain of God's hand. Can we, can we, you with me today? Put the verse up there one more time because I like preaching to, we got diminishing doubt. It's, it's like you're damned if you, if you diminish. Can you go to my main text, please? You're doing such a great job, guys. The Bible literally says that when we doubt, we're like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind, and that woman, that man, should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. They are driven and tossed by the wind. Let me repeat it. 
should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That when what we believe about God and His interaction with us has the power to alter the answers we receive from Him in prayer. Isn't that amazing? When we doubt God's character... It diminishes His divine power at work in our situation. By not trusting in His willingness and ability to move, we question who He is. And when we question who He is, we reduce down His power to move on our behalf. That's where we title this message, Diminishing Doubt. Because when there is doubt in our hearts about the nature of who we is, please leave my text back up there rather than diminishing would be great. When we doubt who he is, when we doubt his ability, the Bible is clear that we should lower our expectations of the answers that we will receive from him. And we see this in scripture. Jesus in his own hometown. The Bible says he opens. Can you imagine when you have just been in the wilderness for 40 days, you've lived in a town for 30 years knowing that you are the Son of God. Now it is your moment. You've been baptized. The power of the Holy, the presence of the Holy Spirit has come on you. You've fasted in the wilderness for 40 days, and now you are full of the power of the Holy Spirit. You come out of the wilderness. You've watched Blind Bob begging every morning. You've seen lame Larry trying to earn a living for his family whilst hobbling across the town. Where does Jesus go to preach his first sermon? To Nazareth, the town where he was from. He stands up, opens the scroll of Isaiah, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm here to declare good news. I'm here to, I'm here to heal. I'm here to restore. I'm here to set free. The power of the Lord is on my life. He closes the scroll, and the Bible says that they say, isn't this Joseph's son? And because they diminished who he was, he was the Scripture says in Mark 6, that he could not do many miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. By questioning his character, they kept their ability to receive from him. When we have a wrong picture of God, it has an impact on what he can do for us. Wow. Wow. We may... We may not question his family background, but we question his interest in our problems, his ability to help us, whether he even cares about us or situations like the one we're going through. And when we diminish him through doubt, we diminish his ability to move. Have you ever read the story where Jesus goes to the place where Lazarus has already died. Jesus waits until Lazarus has been dead for three days and then arrives where Lazarus, her brother Martha, sorry, her sister Martha, her sister Mary are gathered. Martha comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus says to Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I am the resurrection and the life. 
whoever believes in me will never die. And then he looks at Martha and he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? One of the most common questions people asked, sorry, Jesus asked people, one of the most common questions Jesus asked people is, do you believe? Do you believe? His question is to gain permission. Half of our answered prayer comes back to the nature of God, and the other half comes back to our willingness to believe in who He is. When He is God, fully honored and trusted, then his potential in our lives is realized and released. Hebrews 11.6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. He who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him and that he rewards those and that he rewards and that he rewards We must believe that he exists. We must believe that he rewards. And we must earnestly seek him as the one who always rewards those who seek. It is required of us that we believe that he will reward our search for him. It's a display of confidence in his character. Because he is rewarding. He is generous. He is liberal. He's not stingy. He's not selfish. He's not withholding. To receive answers to prayer, we have to believe in the crazy goodness of our God. He is God, fully able, always generous, full of love, always faithful. As the band come and join me, there's a passage of scripture in Matthew where Jesus is uh, left the house and he's followed by two blind men who are just shouting at him, have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us, son of David. And the Bible tells us about Jesus that eventually he brings the two men to him. And this is what he says. Oh, you can see it on your screen. Jesus said to them, do you really believe that I can do this? Do you really believe that I can do this? And they said, why, yes, master. And he touched their eyes, and this is what he said. Well, become what you believe. Become what you believe. Sometimes the greatest worship we give to God is just to acknowledge, no matter how great the storm Even if in your boat right now, you think it's about to sink. The waves are lapping. The boat is filling. Your fears are screaming at you. But one of the greatest things we can ever do is just to come before our God and say, I believe you give to all generously without finding fault. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The God that we serve is able to save us. But even if we will not, Elisha, where now is the Lord God of Elijah? Caleb, their defense is gone. God is with us. 
Those who believe that God is for them, there is nothing God cannot do through them. Listen, one heart, I believe God has called you as a church to impact, transform Port Lincoln, this entire peninsula, impact South Australia, touch the whole of Australia for God. Who says you cannot be a landmark example of a church in a town that transforms a community? Can we agree there is a broken world out there? There are people in need out there. There is a revival that is coming, needs to come to our community. Can we get a few nodding heads at least out there? And what God is looking for is not a community of people with a thousand reasons why He can't, even one reason why He can't. There is no limit on what our God can do. If you believe that, give me an amen. What God is looking for is a group of people who say, even now, even now, I believe that my dead brother can come out of the tomb after three days. Even now, I believe that the storm can be silent. Even now, I believe that revival can come because you are a good God who gives generously to all without finding fault and you can do anything because there's no limits on you. You believe that about your God could you just put your hands together and give him some praise just for one minute if any of you lacks wisdom if any of you has a problem let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given it will be given to him Stand your feet with me this morning. Our time is done. I want to pray for two groups of people. I want to pray for two groups of people. Before I do, before I do, I just got to say to you one heart. I just got to say to you, I feel like a stirring in my spirit all weekend since I've been here. And I feel like God is just saying, if, if, if He can find in us, I'm including myself in your number, if He can find in us a community of faith, a community of believing people, who will not put any rational limitations on Him. We must acknowledge all of our limits on the possibilities of God as being what they are, diminishing doubt. Reasonable doubt is diminishing doubt because we allow something untrue of Him to be believed by us. God can do it. If you believe revival can come, say Amen. If you believe the lost can be saved, say amen. If you believe this church can be filled five times over every Sunday with people from this community discovering the wonder of God, give me a loud amen. So what God is looking for is a believing heart in us, an unequivocal, an unequivocal, no variance or shadow of turning. You can do all things. And when he finds a group of people like that, it attracts the favor of God. Without it, the scripture is clear that we shouldn't expect revival if we've got reasons why it can't come. So friends, today, the first thing I wanna do is I wanna pray for somebody in this church, a bunch of you who are here and in your life right now, you've got some kind of major challenge right now and you need faith to believe that God's gonna help you it's not a sin, right? 
to come to God with your doubt and say, help me to believe. It's never a sin to acknowledge the fact that you need help. But even in your emotional struggle, we start by saying, I believe, I believe. And if you're here today and you need prayer for something in your life, close out, let's close our eyes all over this auditorium. If you're here today and you're saying, John, I need faith to believe there's something in my life going wrong right now. I'm emotionally tossed. I've got challenges. I've got pressures. doesn't matter what the situation is. Take one or two hands lifted high towards heaven right now. Let me pray for you all over the service. Father, in the name of Jesus, for every hand that is raised, every heart that is open to you, we acknowledge that you are a good God, a powerful God, a mighty God, a wonder-working God. And over every person right now, I pray, Spirit of the Most High God, come, come and fill every heart with faith. Give us words, give us pictures, give us scriptures, give us, give us promises to know that you're going to work it all out. But God, I also pray right now and I declare healing to bodies, supernatural provision. I declare dreams to come true. I declare the God of miracles to be with us. I declare the closeness of your presence. Stir faith in the hearts of your people, Lord. We come to you and our worship is to acknowledge you give generously to all without finding fault. It's who you are and we choose to believe it in Jesus' mighty name. Put your hands down, keep your eyes closed. I want to pray for a second group of people that are in the service today and you've come to this meeting and right now you're not in right relationship with God. You've come to church today, but you know that you're distant from Jesus. Maybe you've been a church person, but today Jesus is not at the center of your life. Or maybe you've got no idea whether you're a Christian or not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you, if that's you, in a prayer. We're all going to pray it in this room together. But if you're here today and you're saying, John, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. I'm distant from God. I'm not connected to God. I'm not a Christian. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand high. I'll see your hand. Then you could put it down. We won't embarrass you. But I want to know who I'm praying this prayer with. All of this meeting, there are people here who are saying today, John, you're talking to me. I don't know Jesus. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand. I'm not a Christian. I want you to lift your hand. I've been a church person, but Jesus is not at the center of my life. I want you to lift your hand. Got no idea whether I'm a Christian or not. You lift your hand. Once every hand is lifted, we're going to pray this prayer together. But all over the room, many people are saying, that's me. If that's you, take one hand, lift it high in the air right now. Lift it all the way up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? We've got five hands already. Anybody else want to say yes to Jesus? You got half a second more. Lift that hand high. All right. Let's pray this prayer together. Everybody in the room, say it nice and loud, one heart. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I'm lost without you. I ask you, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. I thank you. You love me. You accept me. You forgive me. Amen and amen. Let's give him a big clap today, one heart. Come on. Amazing. I'm about to hand over to Pastor Josh, who's going to come and talk to us about what you can do next if you just said yes to Jesus. But I just want to remind you, I feel like God gave me. Uh, in fact, yesterday just felt so stirred 
to share a message with all of your church in the next service. I think it's a now word for you in this season. If you can stay, I understand if you've got three, you know, if you've got three under three-year-old children, maybe you can't. But if you can hang around for another hour, I'll promise to make it worth your while. Uh, hang around and God bless you. Thank you.